Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli, Vorthos writer for Gathering Magic, and I've been told, since our first podcast came out, an adequate host. And with me, I have Andrew Weissel. Hi, I'm Andrew. I am an adequate co-host. <laughs> and uh, Carrie Barkett. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty adequate, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, I surprised them both with that intro. Uh, <laughs> So today, so today we are going to talk about, uh, the best part of Dominarian history. And there's like a million people who are going to try and fight me right now. Uh, the ice age, the ice age is one of my favorite portions of Dominaria history. It takes place, um, after Urza sets off the, uh, Silex blast at the end of the brothers war. Uh, and he ushers in this climate change that has the slow progression across the globe uh, and affects something like five sets, I think it is. Fallen Empires, the Dark, Ice Age, Alliances, and Cold Snap are all the direct result of this storyline. So the first one we're going to talk about, and the first one that takes place chronologically, is Fallen Empires in uh, about 170 AR, which stands for Argivian Reckoning, which means after the birth of Urza and Mishra. And who better to talk about Fallen Empires than Sarpedian Empires Volume 7 himself? It's Volume 8, Jay. Volume 8. Oh. <laughs> the Roman numerals, they're I have so no idea. easy to read. I have no idea. Like, like I, I haven't looked at your screen name seriously in like two years. That's, that's part of my efforts as... Uh, branding myself online as a real person, which is, I guess, working. Hooray! <laughs> you can find <laughs> me at J15Y on um, Twitter and Tumblr. <laughs> no, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. Uh, no, anyway, yeah, so I, I guess I should say we're we're starting and, and diving deep into this part of Dominari's history because there's going to be a lot of relevant characters for future stories, including our potential return to Dominaria in a few weeks. Uh, so a, a lot of stuff that happens during the period before and during Dominar's Ice Age uh, has has lots of implications for the future. It's, and it's a, a very it's a very good for fourth hosts. It's a very lore dense uh, section of the story, which is really fun. And it's much less known than the Weatherlight Saga because yeah. all these sets were for the most part released before the story was seriously codified internally at wizards and the stories they were either on um comic books which we'll have carrie talk about or uh they were in novels published years later like five years later i think was when the ice age novels were were uh printed versus uh when the ice age set and comics originally came out yeah which is what we'll start with fallen empires which is a good example of this. There was a Fallen Empires comic, which ends up not really having much to do with the set itself. Um, but then the story of the set is mostly told through the flavor text. Um, this is where uh, a lot of the cards have uh, flavor text attributed to a series of tomes called uh, Sarpedian Empires Volumes 1 through 6, um, which was kind of Magic's first real use of flavor text to tell a set-wide story, uh, which is one of the cool things about Fallen Empires, the set itself. It's, I think, a really underrated set. The cards are bad, but <laughs> it, 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 what well, it does, it starts out 
like so many interesting, flavorful ways that magic still incorporates into sets, um, and it introduces a lot of interesting mechanical space, like uh, Shroud, that untargetability uh, debuts in this set. Um, Tribal is something that, as a substantial set-wide kind of sub-theme, first appears in the set. Um, so it's very cool, and I love it, so uh, I might as well get talking about it. So, as the Sarpedian Empire's tomes indicate, the entire set takes place on this continent called Sarpedia uh, in the southern Voda Sea on Dominaria. So it's um, about 150 years, 140 years after the end of the Brothers' War. Uh, Urza nuked Argoth, and it's ushering in a period of drastic climate change. Uh, so the entire plain is incre becoming increasingly cooler, which for uh, Sarpedia, which is near Dominari's South Pole, um, the effects are felt. This is where a lot of the effects are felt first. The set breaks down uh, into each of the five colors, and then each color has an existing empire and an opposing force that topples that empire. So there's, there's essentially ten factions, each at war, within their colors, and each of them have to deal with the effects of the Ice Age. The, the first major conflict is between the elves of the Havenwood Forest. Because of the climate change, their crops are dying, they can't grow any food. So there's an elf, uh, Thelen, who comes up with this radical idea of engineering a food race called the Thalids, a living fungal creatures that will bloop off saplings for the elves to eat. Within the elf communities, this is either accepted or rejected as some like horrific pseudo-scientific taboo, like in a total ethical dilemma, like we can't eat these creatures, they should have their own rights. When that starts pulling out tugging at the seams of the Elvish society. In the meantime, the Thalids are not very happy about being food in general, so they start attacking their Elvish overlords. Something similar happens. There's a group called the Ebon Hand. They're, they're the, the Black-Aligned Empire. They're a cult that worships this being called the Ebon Praetor, uh, who's said to be an avatar of Torak, this being of dark wizardry. Um, they're, uh, they're a kind of a secretive cult filled with, like, assassins and zombies and pretty, pretty your, your, your standard magic black-aligned character type things. They don't like to get their hands dirty as often as, uh, the color black would make you assume. Uh, so Endric Sar, uh, one of the members of the Heaven Hand, creates this slave race called the Thralls, uh, which many people have fun memories of. They were they were one of the stronger tribal themes. They, they are these ghoulish, fleshy servant minions uh, who evolve very rapidly. Yeah, they're like, they're not zombies, but they are animated beings from necrotic flesh. Yes, they're, they're almost like flesh golems yeah that's a good of. way to describe like 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 if, if you you look at any art from thralls either in here or from like the ravnica block um they're just kind of these like 
gray masses of flesh, and they're really gross, um, which is the point, because they're supposed to be slaves with no rights and just do what you're told. Uh, thralls, however, because they bred them to be very hardy and very self-reliant, and um, to evolve quickly and uh, adapt to a bunch of their jobs, Andrexar did a little bit too good of a job, and <laughs> the thralls started rebelling against their masters of the Ebon Hand. Um, and the Ebon Hand is kind of one sect of uh, of human society. There's another group called the Order of Lightbur that um, they're the white-aligned civilization. They reside in uh, the nation of Acacia, and uh, one of their big cities is Trocair. If you're familiar, there's a uh, in the Time Spiral block. There's a card, Flagstones of Trocair, which sees play in a couple fun formats. Um, it's a reference to to that city. Um, the Order of Lightbirds said to have a similar origin to the Ebon Hand, except they're built around uh, this figure called the Hand of Justice, which is another kind of avatar of white magic and law and order. Um, so they battle with the Evan Hand back and forth in a classic kind of classic fantasy good versus evil scenario. But they can never really get an edge on the Evan Hand. There's this renegade, Oliver Farrell, who believes that more drastic and violent and fanatically destructive tactics need to be taken. He rallies a bunch of uh, occasions together, and they become known as the Farrellites. They are violent inquisitors uh, who've taken the Order's religion and turned it into a, a crusade of fiery destruction. Um, not too dissimilar to what we saw in Shadows of Renestrad with Avacyn's Madness. They, they end up splitting Acacia's martial strength, which becomes their downfall later. Up in the mountains are the dwarves, who've lived and mined pretty peacefully. Um, but they are their lands are being invaded increasingly by goblins and orcs, which uh, and now orcs have a rough history in magic. They started very similar to goblins. Like you can look at goblins and orcs from fallen empires, and if you look at the arts, you can't tell which is which. They just look the same. Um, orcs have been brought back now as as mostly a medium sized black and red creatures, kinds uh, of Tarkir, and then again in Ixalan. So that differences uh, much closer now, but for the sake of Fallen Empires, it's easy to think about them as a very similar style uh, creature. And then, my favorite conflict, Sarpedius an island, and surrounded by the Vota Sea, which is the home of the Vota Alien Empire. Um, an empire of merfolk under their Empress Galena III. Very powerful mages, very powerful army, they have colonies all over Dominaria. This set represents the Vodalians at the height of their power. But the cooling climate and the cooling waters have brought a threat up from the deep. And if you've been following me on Twitter or Tumblr for some time, you will know how much I love the Vodalians' nemeses, the Homerids. The lobster folks come out of the deep waters... Uh, forcing the Vodalians not only out of the ocean, but 
up mountainous lakes and streams. They start terraforming Sarpedia's coasts, flooding uh, the coastal regions to expand their empire. They are brutal. They are they are a blue race like we have never seen in magic really since. They are not proficient at magic. The Vidalian mages are built for magical war, and the Hammer just come in with clubs and pinchers and hard carapaces, <laughs> and like they just crush the Baldalians. Uh, so much so that when Galena attempts to flee Sarpedia with her the remnants of her people from one of their colonies, she ends up zapping not only across space up near the continent of Verona, but across time as well. She plops out 3,000 years later. Um, unfortunately for her, that's right before the Phyrexian invasion. Um, and she ends up having a small role in that story later. All five of these empires very quickly crumble under the pressures uh, of war from the five, their five assailants. Um, and all of this was helped along by a single individual. You probably don't know his real name, which is Tev Loneglade, a planeswalker from... I be- I believe that he's from Dominaria. I don't know if that's ever actually We don't confirmed. know. I think the implication is that he, he is, and that he, and who I'm sure you'll get to in a second, he and his sister yes. have settled onto Sarpedia. So Tev is a planeswalker who's, who's lived on Dominaria for, since before the Brothers' War. Um, and he's loves his sister very much and granted her immortality, basically. Not not immortality, but he's, he's halted her aging, because this is at the time when planeswalkers have godlike powers. Unfortunately for Tev, his sister is married, I believe, to the Dwarven King, but... It's like his her her lover or something. Is in a, at yeah. least in a relationship. It, she's So she's with the Dwarven King, but she's also with Oliver Farrell, the leader of the Farrellites, and we already learned that he's kind of a huge D-bag. Um, so... In his efforts to try and defeat the Order of the Evan Hand, he becomes frustrated uh, with her and ends up killing her while Tev is busy doing other things and distraught. So um, Oliver is like, he was spurned by Tev's sister. Yeah. And so he, in you know, as as the worst kind of men do, he started putting all of this evil nonsense onto her and he convinced his followers that she was a reincarnation of Turok, I believe. Yeah, which is uh, as I said, the evil being that the Evan Hand is built around. So, uh, anyway. Tev is not very happy about this because his sister's pretty much the only person in the whole world that he really cares about. And he's, he's kind of Pre-Mending Planeswalkers had the ability to shapeshift. Um, a lot of them kept their normal forms, but would shapeshift for, like, certain little quests. Um, Tev was a human. He was just kind of walked around as a regular old guy. Um, distraught at his sister's death, however, he decided to take on a new form. A many-tentacled, horrific, draconic demon thing. 
And it's an accurate description. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, considering how little we actually see of him in future card art. Um, and he takes on a new name, which you might be way more familiar with. Tevish Uh He becomes a player in later in the Ice Age and then uh, big time during the Phyrexian invasion. He is um, the Doom of Fools. Yes. He's very, very good classic villain. Like, he's cool. Um, anyway, <laughs> his, he's, what, like, in, in classic pre-mending Planeswalker overreaction, he takes the death of his sister and turns it into a new mindset where he's just going to go around the multiverse and just crumble as many civilizations as he can possibly find. Just because he hates people now. Um, so he ends up helping the destruction of uh, all these civilizations on Sarpedia. And by, by the end, um, some occasions flee to Terracier, but most of the civilizations on Sarpedia die. The Hummerids end up receding back into the oceans later. And because they've evolved so many strong forms, the whole continent basically just becomes overrun by thralls. Um, and then we see in Time Spiral some Thalids are still there. So that like it's it's basically an entire continent that due to the climate change and the the uh, the actions of Tevesat is basically barren of reasonable life. Like, just extinguished. And that's, like, terrifying. And it's a very cool story. And I like it a lot. And Hummerds are great, and I hate Vodalians, and they should all die. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you if you ever want to make Andrew angry, just ask him about the Vidalian merfolk. And Empress Galena, specifically. No, Galena's the worst. The worst. <laughs> Alright, so after the Fallen Empires, um, back on Terrissier, which is where Urza initially set off the Silex Blast, there was a period known as the Dark. And the Dark isn't a very well-defined period, but we know it lasted until about 430 AR, so this is a couple centuries after Fallen Empires. Around that time is when a young mage named Joda uh, and his uh, mentor, uh, a, a guy named Vasca, uh, are roaming around. However, the continent has descended since the Brothers' War and the height of technology and civilization. They have outlawed magic because they all believe that the Brothers were wizards and magic was the reason everything was destroyed. Which is kind of true, but Urza really only used magic at the very end of the war. All of the countries have descended into these individual feuding city-states, and so the only real power on the continent is the Church of Tall, which is a faux-religious organization who... They're all hypocrites, basically. They're white mages. They're not clerics. They're literally white mages who are aware of their hypocrisy. They have basically declared witchcraft illegal. So Joda and his mentor uh, end up getting captured by them. His mentor is killed. Joda is able to escape. Uh, and he gets lured by uh, this thing called a ragman to the Conclave of Mages. 
And at the Conclave of Mages, he's greeted by Mersel the Pretender. And you might re- remember him from last year's, uh, or Commander 2017. Um, he was one of the, the big, weird commanders at the time. So Joda gets ingratiated. Uh, oh, jeez, I even I forgot to mention. Okay, so Joda, from his mentor, received a magic mirror. He's not really sure what it does at the time, although he ends up learning that it can absorb and reflect spells. And while he is uh, on the run, so to speak, separated from his mentor, he stumbles across this lost city. And in order to hide from goblins, because the civilizations on Terrassier are also being infringed on by goblins who are descending from the mountains, because the mountain peaks are the ones getting cold first, uh, he hides from them in a fountain in this ruined city. And what he doesn't realize at the time is it is the fountain of youth from the dark uh so it ends up slowing his aging so he only ages about a year for every century he lives anyway at the conclave of mages marisol learns that joda is a descendant of urza and basically he wants to sacrifice joda to open a gateway to phyrexia now at this point phyrexia has gone from some people knowing it was like a machine hell to becoming like what people associate with, you know, more like the metaphysical hell as we think of it. So he thought he would just make a deal with a demon there and get power. Joda learns of this plot and discovers that Marisol has his master, Ith, below the Conclave of Mages in uh, the artifact Barl's Cage. Um, and Ith had managed to summon the Ragman to go find someone to help him. It was in a moment of lucidity when he still had some of his power. Uh, because Marcel was using the cage, which was made of this metal called water silver, which could drain magical power away. He was using it to drain Ith's power for himself. So Joda frees Ith. Ith incinerates uh, Marcel just as the Church of Tall invade the Conclave of Mages because they were hunting Joda the whole time. Uh, but un- unbeknownst to anybody, uh, Marisol at the time had put his spirit into a ruby ring that he carried around his uh, finger. So the Conclave of Mages collapses and Marisol's ring is lost for millennia. Joda meets up with this woman named Sima, uh, who takes him to the City of Shadows, which is on the College of uh, Latinam, which is this island on western Tercier who were a group of people who opposed the uh, the Brothers' War. It was founded by them, a group called the Third Path. You might remember Felden of the Third Path. Um, he was one of the, the founding wizards of this school. So anyway, th- then thousands of years later, things change around. Carrie, do we want to talk about Freylise's origin, which kind of happens before the rest of the, the Ice Age people? stuff? Because I think this is a really cool detail. Carrie, are you there? Oh, feel free. Yeah. No, I was <laughs> hijacked by purple people. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. So purple people, that's a good uh, that, That's a good, good thing to mention is um, weirdly, so Ith's art, he looks very purple. And in the art description, it's because he has a purple glow from the time rift that it's showing him going through. But then, like, I discovered the other day that Marisil's art, he's also purple. And so looking at them together, they're all like, you know, the wizards all look like Grimace, <laughs> as Andrew pointed out, which is very entertaining, I well, thought. Well, and it's, like, it could just be a lighting thing, but I think it's, like, in... in I think it was a deliberate visual connection. 
potentially, but like like at like a conspiracy level, like what are the chances that these two humans who had direct story connection are both purple? Um <laughs> Maybe Marisol just stole its purple in addition to its power. Maybe, maybe it's like you drink too much uh, grape soda and your tongue turns purple. <laughs> I don't know, but like, like, like it, it's it's this like weird, co- seemingly coincidental detail. But like, it might be some like humans in magic are are mostly mostly look like what regular humans look like. You know, the, the big exception being Mirrodin because of all the metals of. But there are some exceptions. Humans in magic sometimes deviate uh, phenotypically from real Earth humans. Uh, the best example is the Keldons on Dominaria, who have gray skin, uh, which is not typical of actual humans. Um, so that skin tone change, like, like the, it might just be that some people on Terrasier at this time in Dominaria's history just had purple skin. And like that's like a <laughs> Yeah, I, I like think it, I, I think it's it, genuinely the lighting, but I think it was meant to be a visual connection between Ith and Marisol. Uh, but maybe not, it's not just as, like this random cool detail. And like that's that's maybe as of Orthos, that's kind of the weird connection stuff that like I'm always looking for um, <laughs> and really gets me excited, which is why I wanted to talk about this. Fair enough. Okay, so just watch for Dominaria spoilers with purple people potentially. <laughs> if, if there were purple people in in the Dominaria set, like, and it confirmed all this, that would be like I would lose my mind. It, <laughs> it would be like the greatest Vorthos discovery we've ever made, um, which is a pretty high bar. <laughs> um, anyway. Freilis. Yeah. All right. So Freilis, do you want to tackle the Freilis comic, Carrie? Yes, um, so Ice Age 1, the very first one, um, very first comic released of 4. To note, this is like, the story skips like 2,000 years. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit. Um, Tevish Zat is there, hanging out, influencing the king. Um, oh, the cops are there the, too. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> it's Cleveland life. Um, we have... Um, Jason Carthalian, who is part of the J. Carthalian lineage, um, and he is a friend of Frey Elise's. Um, Tevesh Zet is pulling strings behind the scenes to, um, manipulate the king, and in the end, the biggest end result of the comic is showing her spark ignition, which is in the battle of Jason versus Frey Elise. And... Then we skip around a few more times for Ice Age three and four, but we'll get to those later since they wrap up at the end, of the, near the end of Eternal Ice. So notably, uh, the connection here with Fallen Empires is that the survivors of Acadia uh, founded Acacia. the king Acacia founded the kingdom of Storgard, which is where Freilis and Jason Carthelian were from. Yeah, it gets a little beat up during the <laughs> it, Yeah, it basically there. gets destroyed. And those survivors then go on to found what I'm about to talk about, which is the nation of Keldor. So Keldor and Balduvia are the two dominant nations on Teresier, uh 
about 3,000 years after the Brothers' War. The actual date is 2934. And don't ask me why I have all these dates memorized. I literally don't have this in my note. I am such a loser. Because <laughs> because we worked on the timeline, and when you dig enough for little story details enough, you start to remember them. A, l- a lot of dates base themselves off the end of the Ice Age, which is 2934. So anyway, so Kjeldor is this kind of Nordic um, medieval kingdom. Uh, with castles and knights, and they all ride these giant seers. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but basically these giant rocks. Rocks as in the bird, not as in, like, the stone. Uh, Balduvia are the more classical Nordic barbarian types, and the Balduvians don't have the as good land as the, the Kjeldorans. So uh, they often conduct raids, and there's a lot of tribal and ethnic tension between the two kingdoms so in in this there's this uh kildoran deserter named limdul who uh in like a blizzard stumbles uh, uh, he has abandoned the army of martin stromgold and he stumbles into the conclave of mages and takes refuge and finds marisol's ring marisol worms his way into limdul's mind and they become the great necromancer, and they become this giant threat to both kingdoms, but both kingdoms are too busy worrying about each other to worry about him. Limdul's mistake is that he kidnaps Joda, who has become the archmage of the School of the Unseen, formerly the City of Shadows, why it went through like three or four different name changes. <laughs> I mean, it's been 3,000 years, I get it, but... It happens. Sometimes you gotta rebrand. Yeah, there you go. So he kidnaps Joda, and splits him up from his magic mirror now joda being an immortal it did not keep the weight of the years away from him so like he finds it hard to function unless every century he puts his memories into the mirror and then takes them back in a ritual and when he takes them back he still like feels things for it but it's not like it doesn't drag him down anymore you know so like if he got married and had a family and everyone you know his whole family died of old age you know, that doesn't weigh him down anymore. He can continue going. So Limdul captures him and tricks him into researching this rogue plane called Chandelar to escape uh, from Dominaria on the Ice Age, because during the Ice Age, uh, this sh- what's called the Shard of Twelve Worlds formed around uh, the plane. And I'll let Carrie talk more about that in a minute. Um, Joda is rescued by Jaya, or possibly Yaya Ballard, who is amazing she is she and joda first to meet when she breaks into joda's office she's a thief and a task mage which means she's a mercenary who knows just a couple spells and she takes advantage of wizards who don't plan against mundane means like a grappling hook onto the top of a tower um they don't plan for that they plan for other wizards coming to take their stuff so Jaya makes it all the way into the most ancient and powerful wizard on the plains study to steal from him. And Joda is so impressed. He's not even mad. He offers her a spot at the uh, school right there and then, but made, you know, the scholarly life wasn't for her. So she hears her old buddy Joda was kidnapped and goes to rescue him. But rather than just straight up rescuing him, she pretends to be a scholar working for Limdul that Joda was put in charge of because he was tricked. Um, and But Joda catches on that she's not a real scholar because she's reading like 
body romance novels instead of researching anything and she's like doodling instead of taking notes um so she's a lot like chandra but she's she's able to be subtle because of her thief side jaya rescues joda but has to make a deal with freilis in the process uh and we don't learn what freilis wants until later in the book uh she then steals back joda's uh mirror in an awesome heist where she literally just uses a a, a grappling hook to climb into the top floor of this wizard's tower that they didn't bother to ward because it was so high up and she takes it back for him she and joda together negotiate with uh the balduvian leader uh lavisa cold eyes and with the um kildoran king darian uh but they don't get much traction until jaya discovers the stromgald cabal or the knights of stromgald they are this dissatisfied faction in the kaldorans who don't like darian who's a new king and they are very um the best way to put it is they're very nostalgic about Kildor's nationalists. Na- they're staunch nationalists. Let's yeah. put it like that. Um, and basically they're all being tricked by Limdul, who's resurrected his old general, Martin Stromgald, and everyone's rallied behind Martin Stromgald. And they all literally drink the Kool-Aid. They all drink wine at this rally, <laughs> which, which poisons them all. And they get all turned to zombies. And Joda and uh, Jaya save the king from all these zombies that go and attack him. Uh, so with that, they're able to broker an alliance between Keldor and Balduvia against Limdul, who has been pretend, who has been stoking the nationalist tensions between the two nations by attacking both sides and raising their people from the dead. And both sides believe the other was the one attacking them. So they finally get together. And in this big duel, um, Joda realizes that Limdul has Mersul's influence. Um, but before he can defeat him in the duel, his planeswalker patron, Lashrak, shows up out of nowhere, cuts off Limdul's hand with Mersul's ring, which falls into the snow, uh, and disappears with him somewhere. We learn, we learn exactly what's going on later. Jaya, in the aftermath, picks up the hand, intending to return it to Joda, but the ring never quite makes its way back to him. And then Freilis appears, and uh, we learn a whole other set of circumstances was happening behind the scenes, which I'll let Carrie talk about. Yeah, um, so, start of the Twelve Worlds, what's happening then is the Summit of the Null Moon happens, organized by Farallon, taking place on the artificial moon of Dominaria. Um, there are a lot of planeswalkers there. Um, Lushrax there, Tev's there, Ravidel, Freilis. I'm sure I'm forgetting one. Christine um, in the Woods? There you go. I think. Yeah. And then. Um, you said Taser, right? Yeah, Taser. And then Farallon has organized this effort to dispel knowledge of how to escape the shard onto these planeswalkers, as long as they all cooperate. The, the problem is that the Shard has isolated these 12 planes from the rest of the multiverse. And there you go. Sorry. Even... Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Critical detail, I think we, we glossed over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just mentioned it as the Shard. Um, so what ends up happening is that Farallon has organized this get-together on the artificial moon and is offering them all information on how to escape the Shard, except 
he doesn't have that information. What his goal is here is to get one of them killed and use the power from that to escape to Chandelar, um, which other planeswalkers may or may not tag along. We'll find out. But there are quite a few battles that happen. Um, there is the Planar Void battle. Um, there is Ravidel versus Leshrac. But the big spark in the conflict is Chromium's death. And Chromium's death is able to fuel Farallon's escape from there. Um, and Ravidel goes mad sense. Even though Chromium was under the control of Farallon, um, Chromium was still a friend of Ravidel's. That'll come into play later. It's important to note that this is the very same Chromium we see from Legends, one of the last five Elder Dragons in the multiverse, of being yes. not on par with power with Nicol Bolas, but close. Yeah, there's a lot of infighting. He invited them there knowing that they all had bad blood with each other, and made it like it was an accomplishment that they were all going to agree and all trying to escape the shard together. Um... What happens is Farallon escapes the shard. Soon after, Lestrak scoops up the limb duel, takes him away. Tevishzat is getting um, beat up by Jared Carthalion, who is using Amulet of Quaz to win the game against Tevishzat. And um, Tevishzat escapes to Chandelar as well. But yeah, it's a complicated plot point, but all available for th- free courtesy of wizards and the web archive if we want to throw that into the links at the end of the show yeah we'll we'll post a bunch of links to the to the things we're talking about here so people can read them for themselves so that leads us to chandelar which takes place immediately afterwards which as carrie mentioned is this rogue plane rich in mana um (laughs) yeah the the rogue plane thing is is the important part with chandelar so to escape the shard yeah the, the the Shard isolated those 12 planes from the rest of the multiverse, except for Chandelar, which, like, it just has this ability to pass through the Shard, or near the Shard, I forget the exact description, but, like, it just kind of wanders the multiverse, and it becomes easier and harder to planeswalk to and from, depending on where it is at what time. Um, it's, like, this really weird metaphysical anomaly. Which it was cool. the route of escape that yeah. Joda was looking into as of the novels um, for Limduel for Leshrac. Did we mention the world spell? Um, that happens soon after this. Um, well, not too soon after this, but yeah, after the summit of the Null Moon, solidly. Pretty close. So yeah. Freilis gathers, I think Christina's there. She appears to Joda and Jaya and takes them, uh, takes them with her. And casts a spell that basically imitates the Silex Blast. Uh, she basically, the deal in order to help Joda and Jaya escape was access to uh, Joda's archives to learn about the Silex Blast and how to, how to undo it. And so she casts a spell called the World Spell, uh, which thanks to Joda's magical transportation network called the Safe Havens, uh, doesn't explode like Argoth did, but is instead diffused over the entire continent. Um, and what happens is it immediately ends the Ice Age. So thing, nor- temperatures Flood. return to normal, and 
it ushers in what's called the Flood Age. Now, the Flood Age we'll return to in about 20 years, but at the World Spell, uh, Fraley senses that someone there has a Planeswalker spark, and she knows it's not any of her people, so it's either Joda or Jaya. She assumes it's Joda, and in his mirror, she puts a spark of power so that the next time he uses the mirror, um, it would ignite his spark or kill him. Uh, so that's an important part plot point, and yeah. that's how, that's how Old Walkers thought. She thought she was giving him a gift, so to speak. Um, yeah. But Jota is well aware that after three thousand years, he is not a planeswalker. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, we like to call it the Jota rule: that if a, a a character has lived for a sufficient amount of time, they are probably not a planeswalker because something would have ignited their spark. Yeah. Like the entire current cast is spark ignited as teenagers, like. If you're if you're two thousand five hundred, I feel like something would have done it by then. But anyway, that leads us to Chandelar. So on Chandelar, I'll go through this quick. Ferelin immediately gets killed by this. Uh, I think it's like a fairy dragon or an astral dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah really it's cool. a it's a sad scene. He's kind of he has statues built from magma of Lindul, Lushrak, and Tevish. And he's just, like, taunting them for no reason. And then this dragon, um, sent by Guardian Kunin Sarmal, just kind of attacks him and kills him in an instant. <laughs> he he escaped the shard only to die approximately an hour later after kind of so, not being too humble. So then uh, Lashrak arrives with um, Limdul. However, in yes. the comic book, Limdul actually came with... Tevish later. Yeah, which it, it's kind of an inconsequential difference. Um, yeah. We should also note that Limdul had been cursed by Lashrak to grow horns. Um, and the reason for that is, in addition to asking Joda to research uh, escaping the Shard and Chandelar, uh, he also asked him to research killing a planeswalker. Yeah. and Which is obviously Limdul meant to kill Lashrak. Uh, Lashrak is pissed with Limdul because he had intended to use that army Limdul was building to conquer Chandelar, uh, but Limdul is able to connect to Chandelar and gains this new powers we hadn't seen from him before, uh, and he tricks Lashrak into thinking he's dead, and then sets up this conflict between Lashrak and Tevish, um, and causes the two to essentially fight each other until they realized it wasn't worth it anymore, and they both abandoned the plane. Yeah. In the aftermath, uh, Sarmal, who uh, Carrie had mentioned, who's the planeswalker protector of the plane, goes to defeat Limdul, but Limdul has this um, ability to swap his soul into other people's bodies, so he takes Sarmal's body, uh, just as Sarmal's forces kill his old body with Sarmal in it. Yeah. Um, Sarmal gets better, and there's this weird thing where he tries to pretend to be uh, Lundwil tries to pretend to be Sarmal, but when uh, visiting they don't, the champion, yeah. right? And but they don't just give him the plane, uh, so he returns twelve years later with an army of zombies at his back um, to the final city on the plane called Ardestin. Uh, he so after, over the course of twelve years, he conquers the entire plane by himself. Pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Sarmal, in meanwhile, has been training up these two apprentices, um, and one gets really impatient. Sarmal wants them to be ready before they con- uh, confront Limdul, but one named Azar 
he steals a, a, a ceiling spell and goes to confront Limduel. And Limduel casts, he sees this young, powerful apprentice, uh, and he goes to steal his body while the apprentice casts the ceiling spell. And it backfires on both of them, and they both become trapped in Azar's body. Uh, the spell Sarmal had meant to create a barrier around Chandelar, kind of like there was around uh, Ravnica to keep planeswalkers out. And so Sarmal can't rescue his uh, apprentice without freeing Limduel and bringing down the barrier. So he buries their body. Eventually Limduel uh, wins control of the body and g- goes to conquer the plane again. But after what the first war, which was called Limduel's War, uh, the other apprentice had built up five guilds on Chandelar who were all there basically to stop Limduel from ever being able to conquer the plane again. And that was called the Wizard's War. So that was over pretty quickly. And uh, they removed Limduel's spirit, but the other apprentice, known only as the Guardian, quickly realized that uh, without the the body the spell was weakening for the barrier so in order to save the barrier around chandelar he puts him in a mysterious puts the spe- the soul of limdul in a mysterious artifact which is never described to us and i'm sure has no relevance today that's why i spent so much time talking about it because it's not important so anyway then we get to the chandelar game where this planeswalker named arzakhan uh basically seeps his influence onto the plane corrupts the the five guild mate lords um and uh, wants them to seek artifacts of power and cast what's called the Spell of Dominion, which he tells them is going to give them power over the plane, but which in reality is designed to seek out and destroy the artifact that Limdul's soul is imprisoned in. Arzakhan is rebuffed by this young mage who was... Uh, the, the Guardian was killed, and this young mage was basically picked at random, I guess. <laughs> but, and that's the player character it's in you. the game. It's you. You're the young mage. You. All of you listening right now, you're all the young mage. Congratulations, you did it. That's the friends we... <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> you did it. So Arzakhan was rebuffed, and the Great Barrier lasts, supposedly. Except we know, years later, uh, thousands of years later... It's accessible. Yeah, that Liliana and Garuk are able to get there. And there's this weird magical soul-powered artifact called the Chain Veil, which I'm sure has nothing to do with Limdul. Anyway. We we know the barrier falls at least a thousand years ago, because Obnixilis tries to get the Chain Veil first. But that's good call. Yes. a whole other... Yeah, that's, that's its own podcast. So it's been down for a long time. Uh, then we get to Alliances, which is 20 years after the end of the Ice Age. Basically, the alliance between Keldor and Balduvia is fraying. So this is back on Dominaria. Yeah, this is back to Dominaria. Thank you. Um, the Flood Age has caused a reversal of fortune. So where before Keldor controlled all the good land, now the Balduvians are in control of all the lush valleys, while Keldor's cities are threatened by the thaw has caused plague and disease uh, and flooding and all these other issues. And Homerids. And Homerids have started they come to back. So, appear. Uh, yep. cool world-building detail. Silex Blast uh, annihilates the island of Argoth and shatters the continent of the tectonic plate that it sits on, which creates this huge um, uh, sub-oceanic trench that runs from north to south from Terrasier to Sarpedia. So, uh, as the Flood Age takes hold and, and uh, it warms up, the Homerids 
travel through this trench up to Terracierra and start flooding kind of the outskirts of uh, Terracierra as well. They, this is an alliance the the Hummerid cards that are referred to as Viserids, um, which is, I, I guess, the Kildor the people, name. The, yeah, they just renamed it. From from a creative R&D standpoint, they were renamed because people kind of had, players had a kind of... A, bad memories of how bad Hummerids were in Fallen Empire, <laughs> so they they kept they kept those characters but gave them a new name and hoped people would forget and, and yeah, whatever. It I still <laughs> love them. Uh, Except they continued to print bad Hummerid cards. <laughs> so in uh, back back to alliances. So the story itself in the Shattered Alliance uh, Shattered Alliance is that when Jaya picked up uh Mersel's hand uh, Marisol started to influence her. So 20 years later, he has gained essentially complete control over her and leads Joda on a wild goose chase down to um, below, uh, I forget what the name of the city is, Soldev, that's it, where old Phyrexian war machines are, and uh, tricks him down there and then stabs him and uses his blood to reactivate the machines because he's connected to Urza and Mishra. So I guess it works. I don't know. Um, it's magic. <laughs> so he takes over Jaya and goes on this like rampage, you know, campaign of conquest. Uh, Joda, in order to heal himself, to keep himself from dying, has to use the mirror. Uh, but he's able to delay Freya Lisa's spell. And knowing that um, he's not a planeswalker, he reasons that Jaya had to have been the planeswalker. And the only way to save her was would be to ignite her spark. So he basically smashes his mirror onto Jaya's head uh, in a duel, because Marisol did not expect him to be doing that. Uh, and it ignites her spark. And the two of them are transported, well, the three of them are transported to the Blind Eternities. And there's a scene where we see Marisol, like, his creeping influence trying to take over Jaya as a planeswalker. But because she knows he's there, and with Joda's help, she's able to purge him uh, from her into the Blind Eternities, which they believe kills him. So in the aftermath, um, Jaya takes Joda to save uh, Latinam, which Marisol has sent a whole bunch of those Phyrexian beasts to. And uh, once they're defeated, the, the college is kind of shattered, and they all the people scatter. We don't really know what becomes of them after that. Uh, and Jaya gives Joda a parting gift, which is that he never has to use the mirror again to keep his sanity, essentially, that the weight of the years will never pile up on him again like it did before. So that's basically Alliances. In Cold Snap, which takes place... a bunch place of years later, R&D found a secret set just sitting in a file <laughs> in a drawer. Um, so Col Cold, Cold Snap's a couple years later. Uh, this is where we finally got, like, the Lovisa That actually didn't happen. That Kundarian. was the gimmick when they made Cold Snap right, all right, the years but, later, as, as the... To finish out the Ice Age block. Because these, these sets came out before blocks happened, so there was Ice Age and Alliances, but then Homelands was the other set during that year, which has nothing to do with any of this. So as yeah. a quote-unquote no, no end snow to the mana. block, right. they made Cold Snap. So the plot of Cold Snap is that uh, there's this cult of Frost Mages called the um, the Rhymewind, uh, and th their leader, Hydar, basically prays to Phyrexia and learns how to use 
um, how to use ice to create power stones, which is like what the Thran used to use to power their devices. And they use those to, f to power more random Phyrexian cold stuff lying around. I don't know why the Phyrexians <laughs> had to factor into Ice Age so much, but um, and he goes on a campaign of conquest. Lavisa Cold Eyes is killed trying to defeat him because her, the Balduvians she was leading along with some Keldorans, they go to defeat the the Rhymewind, and they would have if um, Hydar hadn't reawakened these Phyrexian beasts. So Hydar is basically winning until um, one of his own allies, Garza Zal, I think is her name. Uh, she's the vampire from Cold Snap. Uh, Garza uh, Zal. Garza Zal, thank you. She. Um, you know, she pretends to join forces with Hydar, but then when she realizes that as soon as he's done with uh, Keldor, she, he's going to turn on her and her city, which she took over the former uh, Keldor capital um, because it's they basically abandoned it because it's so covered in rotten disease. Uh, she basically just has assassins kill Hydar, and that's the end of the story. Boop, boop, the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not even really kidding. Um, There's, like, the weird Phyrexian presence throughout pretty much all of this. Um, there is a Phyrexian priest who attacks, like, Jared Carthalion um, when he's getting that amulet back in... back before the world spell. But specifically, he, like, wants to use a spell to damn him to Phyrexia, and then Jared just reflects it. So... And Even though Phyrexia wasn't inside of the Shard of the Twelve Worlds, he's just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> there's like Phyrexian priests who have been there a very long time, as um, Baron points out in Multiverse Interview, apparently yeah. just stranded there after the Silex Blast. So, like, and we're not even kidding, it's literally in all these uh, stories, because uh, Phyrexian even shows up in Fallen Empires. So yep. oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's a, in a really cool story which we'll definitely link to on Twitter, um, and then maybe on SoundCloud. Um, yeah. I don't know how to do that. That's Jay's thing to figure out. Um, there's there's a cool there's an interrogation story where um, Endric Sar, the 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 mage who created the thralls, uh, captures and interrogates a Frexian priest, and they have a. He, the the Frexian priest is like real arrogant, um, you know. You're you're gonna be, you, he insults uh, them and tells them that they're fleshy and worthless and will be slaves of the Augment. Like like it's a it's just like a neat, it's kind of like a just like a little slice of life flavor story, except the slice of life happens to be in this flesh minion cult and a machine nightmare priest is there like uh, it's a cool story all right well we are almost at the hour mark let me close yeah. out by saying so in the aftermath of cold snap um the son of lavisa cold eyes and the daughter of um king darian uh it's implied that the two of them are going to get married uh and Kildor and Balduvia finally unite and form uh, the country of New Argive, uh, which may or may not exist to this day. We don't know. They were kind of decimated in the Phyrexian invasion. So with that, uh, Andrew, any last words on this whole Ice Age era extravaganza? Yeah, so uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's a lot of characters in this time period that go on to do 
cool things in the future of Magic Story. Uh, Teversat, Lashrak, Fraley's, and Jaya Ballard are, are four main planeswalkers that go on to do stuff later during the Frexian invasion and then later during the Time Spiral Crisis. Um, Joda's still around for uh, Time Spiral. Galena shows up back in the invasion. Joda is awesome, by the way. For those of you listening, he is my favorite character. That's basically it. And the Homerids are probably still in the ocean, deep ocean, wait, just waiting. If, if there aren't Homerids in uh, Dominaria, I think Andrew's going to be very upset. Well, I, I will understand. Oh, no. But, yeah, we, but we should I will be clear. Be... We're, both, we're all realists. Like, we're, it's not that big a deal. It, I, I think he'll just be disappointed. I, I will be very happy if there is even just a reference to Homerids, but... Uh, if Fair a card enough. shows up, that'll be really cool. Um, I'm not ex- so. Here, to put it this way, uh, I have hopes but not expectations. Fair enough. That's how I feel about my two giant theory extravaganzas. We talked about Mother Ludi last time. This time, I should just mention. Uh, I believe Lim Duel is the Raven Man. I've got a bunch of stuff written on it, uh, and I kind of sarcastically alluded to that today. And yep. uh, I have in talked my piece in the chain veil, and probably all have. Yep. We'll, we'll link to your article about that. The three of us worked on that piece also uh, last year. We can talk about yeah. that a lot more later, um, yeah. too. We can do a whole podcast on that, I think. Yeah. And so let me throw it to you, Carrie, to f- uh, finish this out. Any last thoughts? Both Limduel and Jaya have absolutely underpowered cards, unplayable <laughs> cards, borderline unplayable. Um, so maybe we get some new ones in Dominaria. Who knows? There was a card that came out, I think it's in the Kanza Tarkir block, that was basically just a, it was an enchantment, and it was just a better version of Limb Duels. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They both cost seven, except Limb Duels costs, like, a bunch of mana to resurrect things. Yeah, the the additional reanimate cost. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. We have hit the hour mark, so uh, I am going to go ahead and let you go. Thanks for listening. This has been Jay Anelli. Andrew Weiss. Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting Smooth. used to it. Smooth. We'll, we'll get there. We're we'll get adequate. There.